Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode, and you know, it's a live episode, so I don't actually know (laughs) what episode number this is or or when it's going to release, but I do know that I am here today with Coach Yema. Coach Yema is a coach who helps LGBTQIA people make peace with their faith and their sexuality. She's built an incredible community of queer believers and allies on Instagram, where she hosts a weekly talk show and podcast that supports, inspires, educates, and encourages the community to live their full, authentic selves as queer Christians. I'm actually going to put Coach Yema's um, info into the chat right now, so you all can have that if you want to follow her on Instagram or anything. Before I say hello to her, uh, just a couple announcements really quickly. First, we are recording live from the Brian M. Exciden podcast stage at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference digitally. Of course, we're not in person, but it is so wonderful to be on this podcast. Stage. I don't know how many of you way back in the early days of QCF, back when it was the Gay Christian Network, ever listened to the Gay Christian Network podcast. This was like back before I even really knew podcasts were a thing. <laughs> but I remember listening to Justin Lee and Brian Eckstein and, and their podcast, and it was a transformative thing for me. So, so it's a real honor every year to be on this podcast stage and, and sharing in some of the legacy that, that they started years and years and years ago. Two quick announcements, because you're here, it is the conference. Tomorrow night, I am hosting with Kevin Garcia. We are hosting an after-hour games night. It's going to be a ton of fun. I think you should come. Uh, I heard there was going to be prizes. We're going to be giving some stuff away. So come join us playing some games. And then Friday afternoon, Kevin and I are hosting a workshop about bad theology and sexual shame. So we're kind of taking Kevin's book, their book, we're taking my book, and we're kind of smashing it all up into an hour workshop. Uh, And I am super excited for that as well. So... Let's just go ahead and dive in. Coach Yema, welcome. (laughs) Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am just thrilled to have you on the show. I I, I feel like I've, I actually was trying to remember when I started following you on Instagram, and I and I can't remember, but it's been a while. And yeah, like I love what you're doing on there, and, and we can we can get into all of that here in a little bit. But but before we do that, I'll start with a question I ask everyone: How do you identify? And how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Well, I identify as queer, but as well as bisexual. And my faith is actually what has helped me to be all of who I am. Mm. It was actually a conversation with God when he said to me, um, when are you finally going to accept yourself? I had been running away from the conversation while having relationships, just didn't want to really talk about it. Kind of one of those, like, you know, let live, let whatever happens. If I end up in hell, I end up in hell. Like if God's mad at me, he's mad at me. I'm just going to live for now. Mm. And, uh, (laughs) but I was called to this community, uh, nine years ago. And so when it was time for me to manifest and come into my full calling, I had to accept myself fully. 
to be able to um, do the work that I do now. So it was actually God that said, accept Mm. yourself. This is the superpower I've given you. Now I need you to go help other people see what I've shown you. So, Mm. yeah. Wow. So you say like nine years ago, you were called into this and then you said, and then I had to accept myself. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it sounds like, I mean, I'm imagining there's some story there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there is definitely a story. Um, When I was called, I had just kind of, you know, the Christian language of coming back to God and devoting my entire life to the Lord. And so I was, you know, previously, this is, I was 25. So it's about It was nine years ago, but it was 25 when I came back. So I got, I'm 35 now. And so I didn't want to be the person as I believed back then that would go tell this community, which I was very still much a part of my friends, my loved ones to tell them that they were sinners. And so I said, I'm not doing that, God, like, I'm not going to go tell people that they're sinners. And so in the space in between that, I came out to Bible college, devoting my whole self to God. And I'm going through that entire process and working in leadership in this large evangelical ministry and and seeing kind of the curtains behind organized religion really is what it was and uh, get coming out from under that. And then finally being able to say, you know what, I did everything that I knew I was supposed to do. Right. I served God. I gave God my everything. I, I waited for the elusive husband. Um, and <laughs> I, I know that feeling, <laughs> <laughs> you know, prayed and did all that good stuff. And the feelings that I had just did not go away. I ended up falling in love with this woman in a, the purest form. And it was just really jarring for me to realize like, oh, I didn't get delivered from the demon. I didn't worship this away. I didn't, I didn't heal this. Like you didn't take this away from me, God. So I began to understand that this is who God made me. And it was God who had to to tell me that uh, because if I'm going to devote everything and I'm going to stop doing all these behaviors that the church says not to do, and this thing is still here, I'm still falling in love with women. Like, what is that? So it forced me to have a a conversation that I was very avoidant of because I assumed I already knew God's answer because that's Mm -hmm. what the church was saying. Mm -hmm. And that was not God's answer to me. You weren't delivered from that demon. I I mean, I feel like just even that language shows, Mm -hmm. like you said, you you had an idea of what God already, what you thought God God already wanted. Like Mm -hmm. those two things together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you ended up having that conversation, what did it look like? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's funny because I left that, that um, ministry to go into full-time coaching because mm. I knew I've always been called to sex and sexuality. Mm, mm, mm. And um, I was coaching mothers of teenage girls and helping them how to have the sex conversation, the talk with their mm. girls. And I just wasn't aligned. I didn't feel, I didn't have any confidence in it. I'm not a mother myself. So there was a lot of, a lot of um, condemnation and guilt around that and just feeling like an imposter and not feel like I knew what I was doing. And I was working with my coach and my coach said this thing to me, which is why I love coaching and which is why I'm a coach because you get to breakthroughs, right? So my coach said, if you did not care what anybody in the world thought about you, where the church that you're just coming from, your family, whoever else would be, who would be the people that you would devote your life to? Hmm. And I just started bawling. And I was just like, I just want to tell gay people that God loves them. And she said, hmm. that's it, do it. And then, so I had the breakthrough with her and then that opened me up to go sit down and journal with the Lord and just have this open heart to say, God, is this really what you want me to do? And I just kind of got this sense. God was like, 
finally like it took you long <laughs> enough girl like what have you been doing <laughs> like i've been putting all these instances in your life and drawing people to you to show you that this is where you belong that this is your place of joy because walking your purpose and doing what god has called you to is the is the safest happiest place you can be in and the work that i do is to help queer people to get over the fact that they're queer and Christian, not get over it as in like, forget about it, but it's okay. That's who you are. Like, what's next? Let's do the thing that you were put on this earth to do. Cause that's so, for me, it's so earthbound. It's so demonic that we are so focused on who someone's sleeping with or who they fall in love with. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it's such a distraction that it's become such a big conversation when it's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I know people are going to be like, this is what you do for a living. I understand that. But my my perspective is, right, this is who you are. Like, I'm a Black woman. If I was stuck in being a Black woman my whole life and battling with being a Black woman, I can't change I'm a Black woman, right, right? or a Nubian woman. I will never be able to see beyond and actually step into the thing that God put me on this earth to do. So my goal in the work that I do is to help people see that, like, yes, this is who I am. Now what? Mm-hmm. Right? I want to help them get to the, now what? Like, how do I live life? Like, how yeah. do I manifest my purpose in the earth? Right, because I feel like, I mean, it's so easy. I know this, this certainly happened to me. Of where I, I got stuck for quite a while, for, for years, actually, yeah. <laughs> with this, this question of, is this okay? Is it okay for me to call myself a gay Christian? Is it okay for me to call myself gay? Like, like all of these, like, these questions that felt so huge at the time. And, and there was a reason they felt huge. I mean, that was the world that I was in. But looking back, I, I'm like, that really wasn't that big of a deal. And, and sure, I had to go through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so not to diminish that, but how easy it is for us to get stuck in that place. When I'm hearing you say, you know, we're actually invited to a whole lot more. We're actually invited mm-hmm. to, to live a life, which is, yes. I mean, that's actually why I started this show. I like almost those exact same words of like, I want to have conversations with people about what it's like to actually live as a queer person of faith, not just, mm-hmm. is it okay? So, you know, f- for you, you had those moments of having that conversation with your coach, having that conversation with God. It sounds like you kind of stepped into yourself a little bit more. What was it like to then go back to your community? Well, I never really went back, Matthias. Um, (laughs) 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 So when I posted on all of my social media platforms, I was changing and pivoting my business. I came out in that post, basically. And so all of the people that I worked with, kind of, I got the calls from my Christian folks asking me if everything was okay. Does something go wrong? Are you all right? Like, we feel like we don't even know you anymore. And my response to them was just, maybe you just never knew me or took the time to know me Mm -hmm. because this has been something that I have been quote unquote struggling with most of my life. And so the fact that you did not know that about me is not my fault, right? Like you didn't take the time to invest in knowing me beyond the leader who was in the ministry, you know? So the beautiful thing that I found that happened was my following was small enough at the time that I could see and scroll through the people that were watching my stories. Mm. And so I try to go through it now and just to check to make sure whatever, but I saw that there are people from the ministry that I could see that were following, not to 
judge me, but that they found someone else who was in the same environment as they were coming Mm -hmm. out and being who they were. And there was a place of safety. And so I've had a lot of beautiful conversations with people where they're saying, thank you so much for being courageous enough to step out and do this and giving them the permission. That's what I love the most. Like the work that we do gives people the permission to be who they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a lot of that. And then I became like the undercover consultant of people like, I have a friend who's gay or like someone's telling me that they're gay. What do I do? Like, what do I say? So I became that person and I loved it because it was kind of like, you know, people were like peeling back the, back the curtains of their life a little bit too. And I kind of got to see a little bit of the gossip. I was like, oh, this is juicy. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know we were all going through this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> like, it was so much more prevalent mm-hmm. than I thought. Mm-hmm. And I actually had an incident, not an incident, but a, a situation when I was in Bible college and there was this lady that came who her testimony was that she was ex-gay. And I could look at her. I was like, girl, no, you're not. Like, you still would tear me up if I gave it a chance. But anyway, <laughs> like, stop it. But she, like, came to speak to our class. And almost the entire class went up to her to share that they had a family member, a friend that was going through the same thing, that they were looking for advice from her. And from what I saw in that situation is that we're in such denial that the population is so much larger than we think it is. Or statistics tells us that we're like two to 5% of the population. That's a lot of people, but -hmm. it's a lot more than that because those surveys are self-identifying, right? So if I'm in shame and guilt, I'm not going to tell you that I'm LGBTQ, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was interesting for me to see in, even in the church environment where we try to evangelical church environment that I was in, there's so much pretension. Like we're always trying to put this face on and trying to be really something that we're not. And for all these people to go up and share this issue was, it was another confirmation for me from God, just saying, I need you to step up. Like I need you to come and set these people free because this is not freedom right here. So you're talking about this calling, these realizations you were having. You were a coach before you started coaching queer Christians. I'm so curious, like, for those of us who don't know, like, what a coach is, what a coach does, could you share a little bit of that? And also, how did you get, how did you get into that work? Coaching versus therapy is this. Coaching, we have very clear-cut goals that we work towards. is action-oriented. So there may be moments where it feels like therapy. There may be moments where it feels like teaching. But the goal is that you have a specific goal that you want to meet in a certain amount of time. So I try, and I tell my clients this, and sometimes they don't want to hear it, but my goal is not to stay in your life to help you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I'm here because you have this specific issue and we have a specific plan and we're going to put action to it and you're going to do what we say. You're going to do your homework. And if you trust me and do the work, by the end of it, you'll get to your goal. I don't believe, because I do believe in mind renewal, like Romans 12 talks about, I believe in neuroplasticity, that you can change your brain, right? You can change your thoughts, not in a weird, forceful, white-knuckling way. You can really change your brain. So I am not here to support you for the rest of your life. We're here to, to accomplish this one goal, and then we're done. 
I'm here for one purpose. So I've always been a coach in my life from, I can tell you from when I was like six years old, I was like, you know, I'm a teacher really. My calling is to be a teacher. I'm a teacher at heart. And so I've always been the person to direct people and trying to find the fastest way to get somewhere, okay, to get to, to, get to a goal. So I've been doing this since I was a child. Mm-hmm. And I really started realizing that I was a coach in my previous, I mean, I was doing it before, but in my previous role, as the head of HR in this ministry was when I started to really develop language around coaching and why it was important and how to coach your team and coach them to success and how to not be the smartest person in the room. And that's how you like get things done by uplifting and showing people the gold on the inside of them and not like, you know, I'm the most amazing person. I'm the leader. Like that's not leadership. Hmm. So I learned, I had to learn really, really. And that was a hard, tough lesson for me to learn how to support people in their greatness and to show them how to get to where they're wanting to go in the fastest way. I have a gifting of like, if you tell me that you want to do something, I can have a plan for you in like five minutes. Like, cause Hmm. I see, I have God's gift in me to see so clearly what issues you have that are stopping you, what your hangups are, And because I've gone through, even in this small amount of time I've been on this earth, I've been through so many things and I've been reflective of those things that I've been through, like really sitting down in it and learning the lessons in what I go through so that I can teach other people how to either avoid it or to get through it faster. Most of my life is just really me going through things that really suck, learning about it and telling people how not to get in the same position. And if you are... Here's some compassion and here's some stuff that I could have skipped if I didn't have this ego or this pride or this shame or this guilt or this misunderstanding about the nature of God or scripture or what grace means or what what is even hell. Like all those different things. I'm still deconstructing hell, to be honest. But, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I've gone through so many things in my life that it feels like for me, I'm not trying to be a martyr or anything, but it just feels like for me that God, because the way he's created me, I know how to honor pain and talk to pain and listen to pain to help other people lessen the pain in their life, to help them get over whatever struggles that they're going through a little bit faster. Like it shouldn't take you two to three years to figure out like God loves and accepts you. It's not, it does not take that long. And so most of my work I do is between nine to 12 weeks with my clients mm-hmm. that we um, we work through that. I mean, and truly what a gift. And I mean that in multiple ways, like one, yeah. like your own gifting, but, mm-hmm. but also what a gift to be able to join people in, in these moments. Because I mean, it is, it is so hard. I, I feel like, you know, everyone who's watching, I would imagine most, if not all of you know how hard <laughs> this yeah. journey is. And, and there, I mean, there's levels of complexity to that journey. I mean, depending on your skin color, depending on yeah. your gender presentation, like all of these things it can be super easy for one person and super super hard for another and to have someone like you to be able to come in and actually support people on that journey like yeah what a gift so you do all of this work around helping queer christians kind of come home to themselves Mm -hmm. you also do a lot of work just around sex sexuality i mean you've already mentioned it love to hear about that too i mean because like (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely peripheral work and 
One of the hard things with queer Christians coming home to themselves or coming home to God is just the idea that we can't talk to God about sex. It's shameful because somehow along the lines, we learn that the devil created sex and we need to avoid it at all costs. Unless you're in a heterosexual marriage and then you bear through it to have the kids. But like my, <laughs> my goal and what I try to help people to understand, God gave me the revelation about what sex represents, that it's a mirror of our relationship with him. And I know that makes people be like, oh, that feels uncomfortable. That feels weird. That feels kind of heretic. Like, what are you talking about? But in the sexual act, right, it's two people, if you want it to be good, who are completely vulnerable to each other. And they have opened up, not just being naked in their physical, but have been, they're naked in their souls, right? And there's trust and there's beautiful trust and a loss of control in the sense, especially for women, right? In the sexual act. But there's a, a given a way of control because you you trust this person to take care of you, to take care of your heart, to not harm you. And so you let go and you orgasm, right? You have this beautiful ecstatic moment, both of you at the same time, if you're blessed. But uh, <laughs> that is a representation and a mirroring that God is trying to give us of what our relationship with him is supposed to look like. I think a Psalm 1611 talks about that in the presence of God is fullness of joy. That's ecstasy. That's orgasmic living. And so when we think about that, and then we look back at a relationship that we've been shown how to have in the church, it's way less orgasmic, right? We're not having <laughs> orgasmic experiences with the Lord. We're not full of joy, you know, like the fruit of the spirit, love, right? If you have love and you're experiencing love with somebody, the first evidence of that is joy, Galatians 5.22, right? Followed by peace. And so if we're not experiencing that, if you're concerned about like, is this a false God? Is this not real? That's the plumb line. That's the measuring line right there. Are you experiencing joy? I mean, first full stop. Is there joy in your life? If there's not, you have not fully encountered the fullness of who God wants to show up as in your life, mm -hmm. right? And so I come at it from that perspective. And then also as a, as a woman, you know, God took me through this whole process in 2018 of exploring my pleasure landscape of my body and, and getting in touch with like the idea that he made me to be a being of pleasure, right? God is a God of pleasure. And uh, um, there's a book called The Multi-Orgasmic Woman. And I think I read like a couple of pages of it, but basically... It's just like she has this exercise or whoever the, the author is now, but has this exercise where you like create this like beautiful, of course it's women. So it's like this beautiful romantic feminine woman, I guess, <laughs> who like you create this like beautiful romantic moment with yourself. You get different texture things and you rub over your body and you feel parts of your body that feels more pleasurable and not, you know, because you cannot help someone please you if you, and we're just talking real physical right now. We're out of the spiritual world. We're coming back down to the physical world, right? <laughs> so uh, no one, you can't teach someone to please you if you don't know what pleases yourself. So it comes like, you know, we talk about self-love first before we can invite, like we'll energetically attract someone who loves us the way we love ourselves. And it's the same thing. Like if I don't know what pleasures me, I cannot communicate that to a partner. So really taking control of your own pleasure, if that includes masturbation, let it include masturbation, right? But making sure that every time you touch your body, that it's in a loving way so that you never accept anyone else to touch you in a way that's only purely for their pleasure, right? Mm. So it's, um, and it was God that took me through this process. And I help women just really not so much on the platform, but just in my daily life, 
because when I tell people I'm a sexuality coach, they're like, well, I have this issue. <laughs> like, not that kind. Um, <laughs> so I like help women like get comfortable with your body. Like, do you even know what it looks like? What your vagina looks like? Have you looked at it? Like, are you proud of it? Like, are you like, what's going on with you? And so I, I'm, oh, there's something about me. I think that just in my, my space that people just feel comfortable to share very, Sometimes it's a little, um, what's the word? I can't think of it right now, but sometimes they cross the cross the line. I don't need to know all of that, you know, mm, like mm, respect mm. my boundaries a little bit. Like I'm open, but I don't need to know all your stuff, mm. but, um, they feel very comfortable to share different things with me. Cause I'm not ashamed of my pleasure journey and the, the things that I go through my sexual experiences and all of that. So mm. I'm very open and there's no shame that I have. And people can feel that when there's no judgment that you have towards them and you're not going to shame them. Most of the time I'll tell them, girl, I've been there. Yeah, I did that too. Oh no, I did it different than you, but I did it worse. You know, like I've been there. <laughs> I've been there and I've done that. And so it's just, it's fun because nothing really gets people guards down more than you start talking about sex. And then if you could talk about sex with them, you can talk to them about the abuse they experience. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll open up about how their heart is broken or how they're hurt because the taboo thing is out of the door now. Like we've already crossed all lines. So what else can you not tell me? So transparency then is introduced into the conversation. I mean, I just, I think that's, that's, it's so beautiful and so important. And and I really like this language that you're using of like pleasure landscape. Like, I I don't know that I've ever heard that language before of of discovering your pleasure landscape. And I I know you're talking specifically around women, but that just feels like such an important thing no matter how we identify to learn Mm -hmm. our bodies, to learn what feels good, to learn what doesn't feel good and then be able to talk about it and introduce a level of choice and agency into our sexuality and into our relationships. So a few minutes ago, you said, you know, something that you were tying together, like, like this idea of God and, and sexuality and, and the way that how, how similar those relationships can be. And, and you use the language of, of like two people. Mm-hmm. But I also know from like seeing your work, like you do a lot of work around poly relationships and, and you do a lot of work in that arena as well. So, so mm-hmm. I'd love to hear like, I mean, all of this idea of like pleasure landscape and, and these things, like how does that tie in with, with poly relationships? Yes. So I have just gone through an experience last year. I am not poly, but as a bisexual person, I think being a part of the community, you think that, oh, well, that would be the ideal situation to be in which was interesting process for me because as a coach who talks about these topics, and I'm very open. I believe everything that the core beliefs of polyamory, that people, certain people can love multiple people, that love is not a, a finite commodity, right? That it's infinite, that if you can love multiple children in your life, it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't be able to love multiple people and have different experiences and experience this thing that's the opposite of jealousy, which is compersion, which is where you're happy that your partner is experiencing joy with another person. Usually what happens in life is whoever you are, obviously you're going to attract this. So most of my clients marry me as bisexual females. And so they had questions about polyamory and I knew that I had to address it. And so doing the research and doing the the podcast and the IG lives about it, just to give information, just to help them understand, because they weren't sure if God would be for it. And I always reference them back to the story with David and Bathsheba. 
where God told David, if I gave you everything, if you have wanted, and David already had all the wives of his, like everybody else, basically. (laughs) And God told him, if you had asked me for another wife, I would have given her to you. Like you didn't have to go out and kill someone. First of all, you rape someone, you get her pregnant, you kill her husband. And now you're crying. Yeah, you know, that's a problem. All you had to do was ask me because when you look through the Bible, monogamous relationships are very, very minimal. Most of the relationships have multiple people. Obviously, it's not not polyamory in the Bible. It's polygamy. But they have multiple people in relationships and God blesses those relationships. So I presented the information because we all have to come to our own sexual ethic in relationship with God, right? And so... For me, just being transparent was what recently happened to me is I realized that I am monog- I'm monogamish, really. Like I'm between, <laughs> yes. yeah, like I'm between because I don't know if I can handle um, monogamy purely, but I'm monogamish. I'm open to my partner, flirting with other people and us setting boundaries around that. I'm not right now in the space that I'm in my, in my own personal growth where I'm able to share emotional intimacy with my partner and then with somebody else. Hmm. It triggered a huge uh, spirit of rejection trauma that I had, which I'm so happy for, which I'm going to be teaching about like all this month to help people get through it because I feel like we need to deal with that. Hmm. It's such a core issue, right? Because we all at the core want to be loved and accepted and rejection is the opposite of that. And so that trigger really helped me to heal and kind of return back to myself whether I'll be able to do the poly thing again, because I definitely tried it. And I was like, no, uh-uh. mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to tap out. I'm going to tap out of this. This is so painful. I cannot handle it. I need to heal me because it's not the other people. It's something that's in me. And, you know, poly people talk about that. It's not that they don't deal with jealousy is that they're really good communicators around jealousy. Right. They're really good at identifying where the jealousy is coming from and helping each other heal from that. I unfortunately did not have people who were aware enough to help me through that process when I was going through it. So poor choice of partners, but it happened, right? For Mm -hmm. me personally, and I had to take the time to heal through, but it was a beautiful process of healing for me. Mm -hmm. And God like taking me back to the moment where I felt like I wasn't worth um, going the extra mile for. It was something so simple. And it was like around Christmas holiday with my dad. It was just like, really? That seems like such a weird, random time to have that issue, but that's where it came from. And so allowing myself to go through that process. So if you're considering poly, I don't honestly believe that if you have a conversation with God and you all are sharing love with each other and it's your personal relationship with God, your own personal conviction. But from what I've learned through scriptures, I don't see as to where that would be something that God would be mad at you about. Right. Right, right. But you need to know yourself and it's okay. And you know, what's funny, Matthias, I kind of felt a little bit of shame. Like I want to be poly. Like mm-hmm. I want to be cool and be poly. Like it felt so like, you know, like vanilla to just be like, I guess I'm just monogamous. Like this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like dang. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, but like, well, what a journey for you though to, to, Oh my gosh, I just thought of like Alexis Rose, like, love that journey for you. Um, but no, but like, <laughs> what, a, what a journey to 
actually dig in and be and then try it <laughs> like to actually be in a poly relationship and, and then oh. to back out and actually say like you know what i, I don't think this is for me but mm-hmm. i've learned a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've actually you know yeah. have lived experience now and th- i mean that just feels really lovely <laughs> um, yeah. i'm glad you think so <laughs> <laughs> So I want to open it up for some Q&A. Are, are you sure. open to that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I am pulling up. Let's see here. So Ron says, God qualifies the called as opposed to the qualified being called. There are many of us in the LGBTQIA community that are called, but not able to serve in pastoral ministry, for example, UMC. However, there are a multitude of other ministries within the church that we can participate in. Ron's question is, how do we begin to enlighten our more conservative brothers and sisters that they might understand the gifts and graces that aren't being used for the kingdom because we are queer? People can't see what they don't want to see. And so it's not so much about going to the conservative and trying to enlighten them and and showing them what's missing by going to them. It would be for me to, you know, like the song says, let your, your light shine somewhere else. One of the things that the leader that I used to work for would say, you want to burn for Jesus, set yourself on fire and the world will come watch you. They'll come watch you burn. So it's not going to them and showing them. It's just being where God has put you and shining where you are. And if God calls those people and put you in a situation where you can share with them, then do it. But to go and to go speak to that right now with people who are resistant to hearing it, you know, we can have this idea of like, we're going to plant the seed and God will, will grow it. That could be a possibility if the person's open, but if they're not open to it and they think that God can't use you because you have this quote unquote sin in your life, like when the conversation's over, they're not hearing anything you're saying. Their thought is, how can I let them know that I'm going to speak this truth in love, but brother, you are out of line. You need to get saved and delivered. And so nothing that you're saying is going to get through to them. So there is a scripture that says, don't waste your pearls before swine, right? And what that is saying, don't give the thing that God beautiful things that God's given you, like the, the pearls he's given you and put it before people who wouldn't appreciate it, right? Who, who would stomp on it and roll around in the mud with it. Honor yourself and do where God's called you. Yeah. Oh, preach. <laughs> so I have Brittany over on the Whova app asking, are you taking new clients? Yes, I am taking new clients. If you go either to my website or Instagram in the link in my bio, you can set up a a free um, complimentary 50-minute call, breakthrough call with me, our initial call. And then we'll see if we can work together and if we can help each other. Then on that call, we'll we'll build a plan and see how we move forward from there. I love that. Go do that. Uh, yeah. so, so we have Danny. They're wondering what insights you might have for folks who are exploring their gender identity. I would say now I don't have too much experience with that in my clientele. I have more experience with that in my personal life with friends that I have around me. Recently, I actually one of my friends just um, transitioned and she's so happy. And I think that allowing yourself to not pass judgment on the process, really working on identifying your voice versus the voices of other people, and then the voice of God. The thing that I see, no matter where you are in the spectrum, that queer Christians struggle with is that they can't discern the voice of God from the voice of the church from the voice of the non-affirming family, 
from the voice of religion, right? So if you can work on maybe initially asking God to know God, and then as God shows you who God is in that relationship, cultivate the identity that he's given you and know that it's given to you. Not that you're making this up. This is not a fad that's going on. Like no one's going to choose to go through all of the heartache that our precious trans family goes through, right? So don't judge yourself. Try to cultivate, not so much trying to go to God like, is this how you made me? Is this how you made me? But more like, can you show me who you are? And when God shows you who you are, like, can you show me who I am? Right? Like, this is, help me understand what's going on here. That would be my, my recommendation. Sonia is wondering, where's a good place to start with unpacking shame and fear of vulnerability if you've been running from it? Well, I think someone on this podcast wrote a book called... (laughs) (laughs) Beyond Shame. (laughs) (laughs) So I would recommend that to start that and then to also really identify the origins of your shame. Like who gave you that? Because we don't we don't grow up. We're not like popping out of the womb with shame, right? So someone taught you to be shameful. So where did that come from? And if you're talking specifically about being unshamed and vulnerable with your your physical body, I would say spend more time naked in front of the mirror. It's mm. like it's so simple. If you're getting ready to get in the shower, stand there for a little bit, turn around, look at all the different things in your body, like without judgment. Okay. And then when you're, you feel strong enough, then stop, start speaking beautiful things to you. You know, when I'm in the bathroom walking by and I'm like, damn guy, like you really did your thing here, you know, like, I was, <laughs> and that took me some time to do, but just getting yourself physically naked and being in the mirror and observing who you are and honoring that as a masterpiece is a good place to start to get vulnerable with yourself. Right. And then maybe you can progress into using different textures to begin to play and touch yourself and to to, to give yourself permission to feel it and all of that and do it with the lights on, not Mm. off, right? Do it with the lights on, no shame. I love that. And and I'm going to use this opportunity to plug the workshop that Kevin and I are doing on Friday. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about shame, bad theology, those things. Also, I I have a little giveaway for today that I was going to wait till the end, but like this feels like it ties in with this question. I just launched over on my website a free masterclass on, it's called Four Practices You Can Start Now to Move Beyond Shame. And it ties, I recorded it with a woman named Linda K. Klein, who, who is also a sexual educator, researcher. She wrote a book about purity culture. We recorded this class together. It it ties in very well with what Yema was just saying. You can get that for free over on my website. Um, It's the first thing that will pop up. You can just click get the masterclass. So those are some more resources. Of course, there are so many others, (laughs) but I'm I'm plugging my own work right now, I guess. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) So Michael asks, for Yema, um, is, is poly a choice or an identity then? Do you try to coach people through wanting to be poly if they aren't sure or have them work through the identity part first? We actually talked about this on the podcast if polyamory was an orientation, a sexual orientation. It is not a sexual orientation according to my research and how I look at it. It is a relationship type orientation. And so 
I fully believe that you either can, judging from my past recent experiences, you either are or you aren't, right? And I think that I don't believe that it's a, a choice that people make. I think you can force yourself to do it and, and put yourself through a lot of trauma if you, <laughs> if you really wanted to, but I don't believe it's a choice. And I, I don't coach people in a certain direction. I coach them to help them, to give them the tools to make up their own mind about it. Cause I'm not here to tell you what your truth is. I'm here to help you discover it on your own. So if that means that you're going to go and try it out, or if it means that you're going to go and have, do a lot of research by talking to other people in the poly community, reaching out to people online, watching documentaries, whatever that is, being a part of poly um, meetups and seeing what that looks like for you without actually doing it yourself. Because we have romanticized polyamory and we haven't really talked about the real hard work that goes behind making those relationships look really beautiful and perfect. Like you're having threesomes all day, every day. Everyone's just like happy, naked, feed each other strawberries. That's not what happens, you know? That's not the case. It's real hard work to be poly. So if it's something that you want to explore, I give them, you know, help them feel free and comfortable enough to do that without judging themselves. And if they come back and they're like, yeah, you know, like me, like I'm just monogamous, like it's okay, baby, we here together. Like I got you. And if you're poly, how do you find and go into the community and create that relationship with somebody else? Because you could be poly, have a partner and not find another partner for a very long time. You know, so there's all kinds of different ways that poly plays itself out. But if you are considering if you are poly or not or wanting to do it, I would encourage you to find someone who's, even if the person's online, because people love to share about their poly life, reach out to them on Instagram or on YouTube, connect with them, get on a call with them and just, hey, I have some questions to ask you. There's tons of poly meetups. I guess they're all going to be online right now because of COVID, but that you can join and poly groups on Facebook. So there's not a lack of access if you're looking for it, if you're just curious. So I would say people in that stage, they're called poly curious. So I was poly curious and am no longer, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Mix Wee is wondering, they wrote, you, you mentioned ecstatic or ecstasy in relationship with God. This sounds quote unquote charismatic, and yet many women have never experienced ecstasy with God or with a partner through orgasm. Will you talk a little bit more about this idea of ecstasy? Yes. So many women have not experienced orgasm because they're not comfortable. They don't know how to let go of control or they're not with partners who know how to make them feel safe enough to get to that place. Now, orgasm is not the goal of sex, right? Pleasure is. But it would be great if you could orgasm. And people orgasm all kinds of different ways. So there's no shame around if you orgasm only by masturbation or with a vibrator or with a penis or whatever the case may be. But for this ecstatic way of living, this orgasmic way of living, it's a really a pure, unadulterated joy that is supernatural. We can't drum it up. Like we can't create it in ourselves as I believe as someone in relationship with Jesus, that you cannot drum ecstasy and joy up, right? It's something that is a gift from God that you experience when you fully know intimately. Like when the Bible says Adam and Eve knew each other, when you know that God loves you, not here, but in your heart, when you really embody the love of God, you're looking around with people like, I don't care what you do to me. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm just here to love you, 
to serve you, to be happy. Like you're smiling. I've experienced moments of that. I've had encounters with Jesus where he's walked up to me in this encounter and like touched my nose and filled me with liquid joy. And I felt like I was high and I was so happy I lived alone because I felt like someone had called the psych word on me. But it was just (laughs) such a beautiful experience of God just saying like, this is what I want you to live like. This is what I've called you to. So it's a tangible experience of like, if you could think about like hot liquid joy pouring through your veins like filling your heart up, changing your thoughts, like changing your perspective, how you look at the world. That is the joy that we are called to live in. The Bible talks about that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Like Jesus was happy, like, you know, and God's not in a bad mood right now either. You know, a lot of people need to know that God's actually smiling. Like he's not angry. Okay. In spite of all the things that (laughs) may have happened today that the evangelical church might have to say about the riots, God's in a good mood. Okay. So Brett is wondering, and Brett said that either of us can answer this question, um, wondering whether we have gotten to a place where we're so comfortable and confident in our sexuality that no non-affirming Christian can shake us up. Are you in that spot? Yes, I am. I can fully 100% say that I am. And here, here is where that certainty comes in. It's because I heard God tell me that I'm okay. Um, The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's not talking about the physical scriptures. It's talking about you having an actual conversation with God and God speaking to your heart in a way that changes you forever. So a non-affirming, I have them all around me and my family. So it's not anything that's new to me. So it doesn't, it doesn't phase me. I think the only thing sometimes that to be transparent, that kind of, I have to take an extra bit of time to kind of get back to God about when people are like, what if you're leading people astray? Like, what if you're telling them they're okay and they're not? And sometimes that takes me a step back to be like, God, am I? You know, and God's like, what? Like, no, of course not. Like, you're crazy. Like, we're doing the right thing. Like, you're bringing people back home to me so I can love on them. Yeah, you're on the right track. And that's all you need to be worried about. But as far as I'm concerned personally, I know exactly who I am. I am 100% certain that I was created this way on purpose by God for a purpose. And I'm living that now and I love it. I'll speak to that from my experience, like just briefly, because because there's a couple other questions I want to get to here. But for me, it's not the same answer. For, for me, I definitely have moments where non-affirming family or where other people can absolutely throw me off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It does not. Sometimes it doesn't even take much depending on the day. But the thing for me that um, feels there's a level of certainty around is like, I know how to get back. Like, and and I've spent so much time and and have done more confident in my ability to, to like, yeah, Sometimes it can take a few days, sometimes it can take an hour, but I know how to get back to that place of actually things are okay. And I mean, that has just taken years and years and years and years and years of work. Um, Still working on it. But yeah, so there's a both hand there for me. You mentioned this, Yema. There are multiple questions in here around like non-affirming family. (laughs) You yeah. mentioned, do you have non-affirming family? Uh, so if someone asking for advice around non-affirming family, I, I also have a, Rachel is is saying, my girlfriend and I are in a relationship trying to figure out how faith fits. Our parents don't agree. They say you can't be a Christian. It, Rachel's wondering around how to have that conversation. Uh, so, so non-affirming family seems to be a theme. We have about four minutes. Um, 
<laughs> I will I will say this. If they go to the link in my bio, I actually wrote a book, a quick ebook on that, on how to have how to be yourself even if your family thinks you're going to hell is the title of the book. Um yes. so you can go to my the link in my bio on Instagram and get it on, on my website. But basically what I do is and what I want to communicate is that we're queer Christians, right? So if we would focus on being the Christian part of it and loving people who don't understand us. So it's not so much of us trying to receive validation from them or trying to receive acceptance. I know that's really hard to say and hard to walk through, but if your validation would come from God and your acceptance and your love would come from God, you would be able more to, that love of God will protect. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says love protects. So that love would be able to protect your heart to where you're able to love your family even if you don't agree with them, right? Even if they are looking at you like something's wrong with you, like I'm going to step up higher in my identity in the higher self that I am. And I'm going to love you, not because of my queer identity, because I'm, I'm in alignment with me being a Christian, like being God, like being love. So I'm going to choose to love you in spite of how you're treating me. I'm going to give you what I wish you were giving me right? I'm going to love you in your disagreement. Like this is not going to break connection with you because you don't accept or validate me. I know that's a a way different way maybe to look at it, but it'll set you free. My father disowned me. My older sister, who's like my mom doesn't understand, but I choose to love her. I avoid the conversation when it comes up. If it comes up, I stay silent and I listen to what she has to say because I know she's speaking it from a place of love, even if she doesn't understand. So we have to trust that they do love us and it's okay that they don't understand. We're still going to be in connection because the love is here. Okay, last one. This is a this is a quick one. I think Laura says is it sometimes feels like there's no guidebook for LGBTQ plus relationships in the same way that there are for heteronormative ones, especially when relationship advice is so gendered. Any recommendations on resources out there? Uh, I'm so sorry, girl. I don't have any. I've I've looked up a couple on Amazon, but there isn't. And I will say this: if you're asking the question, maybe God's calling you to write it. I agree with that. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get more here in the next couple of years. Um, I know that's a yeah, long time to wait. Seriously. But, yeah. <laughs> you can find Coach Yema over at her website, uh, www.yema.com or over on Instagram at Coach Yema. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. You are the reason Queerology is on the air. If you want to find out how you can become a Queerology active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. Another really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. Uh, you can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next time, y'all. Bye. Thanks, Yema. (laughs) Thank you so much. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.